Thanks for downloading the weekly podcast from Bridge Christian Fellowship. To find out more, head to www.bridgecf.org. Did you notice the hymn slipped in this evening? Yeah. <laughs> Special request. I have to say that's my fault. Um, the words trust and obey were just going around in my head this week as I was preparing for this talk. And I remembered the hymn and I thought, I wonder if God's leading us to sing when that's all. I would consider it a success the choice of that song, if you find yourself singing Trust and Obey in the next week. Yes, come on. Come on. Uh, my son Michael said, I'm not sure it's right, it's a little bit cheesy. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, we'll see how it goes. But I did notice that he was singing it as he walked in. <laughs> Work with him. So, my um, sort of theme or aim this evening is to is about trusting and obeying, and to be better at it. And um, as most of you, if not all of you, should know, it is Palm Sunday today, and so my talk is based around the reading <coughs> in Palm Sunday on, in Luke chapter eighteen, verses twenty-eight to forty-four, the triumphal entry. If we could have the the words up, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, and let's just apply, I thought we'd apply this trust and obey theme to this passage. And um, first of all, we'll see how it should be done. Uh, then we'll see how it shouldn't be done. And then I'll talk about myself on how it should and shouldn't be done. It should be Luke 19, verses 28. <laughs> Great, yes. <laughs> right, I'm going to read it through. It's quite long. Um, then when you realise that the Luke's version is not quite the same as the Matthew version, it's got an added bit which is very relevant to what I want to talk about this evening. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethsage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, uh, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and you will enter it, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, Say the Lord needs it. Those who were, who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. So what I'd first like to do is to look at um, how, what, how Jesus behaved, what he did in this particular passage. So how did Jesus trust and obey? Um, what is interesting, um, reading around the subject, um, is that he chose to come in on a colt, um, not a horse. You see, um, an arrogant foreign king would perhaps come on a horse, but Jesus came on a colt. And the reason is, um, it was a symbol of humility and gentleness. It also fulfilled the prophecy that's in Zechariah. So Jesus um, came in full humility, confident in who he was, not a wimp, because sometimes we think humility is to be a wimp. It isn't. It's being confident in who, he, who you are. <coughs> Secondly, I want to look at Jesus came in and participated in the procession. It was the climax of his ministry. The statement about that. Son of David, King of Kings, conqueror of sin and sickness. However, despite being carried away, well not carried away, but full of the uh, sense of occasion and full of joy, <coughs> Jesus was not carried away too much that, by the praise of man. Because you can see this in the next bit of the passage, where Jesus suddenly broke away from the joyful um, sort of atmosphere and was moved to weeping at the sight of Jerusalem. Coming back just a little bit before that, um, Jesus and the people were all joyful. And I was thinking, well, why, why is Jesus joyful? He's about to die a horrible death. But the thing is, he knew his father's plan. And could we have the other reading, the Hebrews 12, verse 2? Um, it says here, uh, Paul writes, Who for the, for the joy, this is Jesus, Who for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, the joy, note, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's why Jesus was joyful. He knew what he was going to achieve. He knew the prize. His eyes were focused on that. The people were also joyful 
They'd seen amazing miracles and works of power. And they were excited, I suspect, because they felt things were about to change. This stage, they felt God was about to deliver them and help them. But as Jesus says, as he has this prophetic picture, as he looks down at Jerusalem and realises that in 40 years, well, it is done, turns out to be 40 years' time, in 40 years' time, Jerusalem will lie ahead of him in complete ruins and all men, women and children inside killed. What went wrong, you might ask? Were they trusting and obeying? The answer is, um, as Jesus says in the passage, that they missed, he said, they did not recognise the time of God's coming in the, to them. They missed the offer of salvation. They took on, the Jewish people, took on their own plan. Perhaps they were convinced God himself was leading them to do it. But they missed the proper plan that God had for them. And the consequences were an absolute disaster. You see, they were expecting a warrior king to come in and defeat the Romans and free them from their oppression. And that's really what I want to come to for my first point. It is that when we trust and obey, we need to be open to the fact that God's plan might be different to the one we're expecting. Um, in the Jewish people's um, their experience, they were expecting the warrior king. That's what they went for. They missed Jesus as a result. So what is God's plan for each one of us and, and for Bridge Christian Fellowship here? Well, the answer is that we all need to trust and obey and keep watching. Because often the way forward is revealed only a step at a time. Yeah, that's right. I want to now share um, a story of um, Tina and myself acting in trust and obeying, um, in which I did the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, for some people it might be easy, but for me, with my background, it was hard. And that was to give up a job... Um, a relatively well-paid job, which we're both working full-time on, as directors of a charity in Kenilworth, near, near Coventry, directors of a charity, Kenilworth Youth for Christ, to hand in my resignation, put my house up from, on the market, and choose to move to Southampton, um, trusting that that is what God was asking us to do, and trusting that he would provide. Mm. Now, I thought... That's good. God's going to give me a job even before I even go down there. That would be really useful. Do you think he did? No. <laughs> did he give me a job when I got down here even? No. No? <laughs> Not right away, anyway. And was it what I expected? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the other thing was... Um, God worked um, amazingly for the sale of the house. We, we had a buyer, a buyer backed out, um, and then we found another buyer within a week. The house we went for, we lost, and then when our new buyer came along, we found out it was back on the market again, and so we had it. So, 
and a relatively smooth house move as, they, as things go. And, um, but just another um, act of faith is to um, let your wife be involved in the negotiations for the price of the house. Um, <laughs> because um, we, we put in a first offer when it was turned down and um, it wasn't enough. Um, and then um, the house fell through. We put in another offer, which actually was lower, because uh, we knew what the other the house had been sold for on the first time it was sold. And the um, the vendor was a bit disgruntled about this. You know, why have you offered so much less? And so we were speaking to the estate agent, and, uh, and Tina was as well. And um, she felt that... Um, she suddenly said, I think we should offer a thousand pounds more uh, than we're offering, even though the estate agent that says he's going to offer it on a thousand pounds less. And I thought, well, we've got this money here and we're going to move, and that now takes me a thousand pounds less than we were going to have to move as a, as a cushion. I thought, why not? We all have given up, may as well go for it. <laughs> Um, and God was faithful, you'll find out. Um, oh, then to make matters worse, you come down for a job in Southampton, no jobs, um, nothing on the horizon. And when you move down there, oh, you go on holiday for a month, which is brilliant, you know, it's Cyprus, some friends that we know there. But that's a month when I can't do any job searches. So just tie my hands behind my back even more so it's harder to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> And that was quite a test for me to relax and have a holiday, not knowing what the future had in store when we got back. Anyway, we moved. We're in. We go on holiday. Come back. Still no jobs on the horizon. Oh, and by the way, we are in our mid Just to make it harder, we are in our mid-50s. Really hard to get a job in your mid-50s, so I'm told. And it certainly was my experience. Um, and... Um, yeah, what was the other thing? I can't think it was now. Um, but yes, in your mid-50s. Oh yeah, there's a recession on. Yeah, very few people are getting jobs at all. So have we really heard what God said? Yes, we believe, still believed it was. Oh, and then we looked for jobs, nothing on at all. The only job that came up was a job um, which I thought was for um, 24 hours a week. Um, as a part-time pastor in a retirement home. I thought, pretty good, I'll go for that. Um, but when I got there, or just slightly before I went for the interview, I found out it was sort of 24 hours a month. So it was six hours a week, space <laughs> during the week. So any full-time job, and most part-time jobs, I would now be excluded from as well. Still felt it was right to go for it. Didn't understand why, but I thought, I'd like to do that. So I took that job, and I, I have enjoyed it. It's been a challenge at time, but generally I, I do enjoy it. And um, I think it's, I know it's where God wants me to be, because I'll tell you the rest of the story now. Um, so I took this job on six hours a week. Um, no other job still on the horizon. Then I found out um, that I didn't know that I could take my pension early. Um, I thought, oh gosh, that's a good, good opportunity. But by taking it early, it means that you get less money when you actually, if you left it longer until you're in 60, 65. And uh, it's not enough to live on indefinitely by taking it now. But as in the end, I still felt it was right to take the pension. 
and trusting God for the rest of the income stroke pension when the time comes. Then we had some job opportunities as doing some tutoring or, or teenagers. She's a trained teacher, one-to-one tutoring for people doing um, GCSE subjects and A-level subjects. I thought, oh well, I'll apply as well, not really thinking I would get anything because I'm not a trained teacher. Um, I applied and um, initially the work, there was some work, started slowly. I was very reluctant because I was, somebody wanted some help with A-level chemistry. I have a doctorate in chemistry, so it is my sort of area, but to help somebody doing A-level, that was really quite worrying for me. If I made a mistake, you know, their future's in there. I've ruined their future. In the end, I, I, I did decide to go for it, and over the last two years um, since I started, the work has gradually built up and built up to the point now that I'm on something like um, 16 hours a week, uh, which is and it's, it's quite good pay, and so I'm really grateful. So it started slowly, and, and just slowly but surely has built up. But the funny thing was, was the job as... Um, as a pastor that I took on, the six hours a week, remember? Mm. Why, why am I doing this? It's only six hours a week. It's crazy. Um, but um, a year later, the building next door, which was a nursing home, was advertising for a chaplain. And um, I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll go for that. It's only next door. And um, it had been taken over by the Methodist Homes for the Aged M- MHA that had this policy of having a chaplain in all nursing homes. Um, I applied for it. turns out I was the only one that actually applied for the job. (laughs) Still on a, not a very good pay, just above minimum wage, um, but still felt it was right. So now I have two jobs next to each other as um, adding up to 16 hours a week as a pastor stroke chaplain. Great. Then... The MHA that bought the nursing home then decided to buy the place that I was doing the pastoring in. So, <laughs> so I've now got the same boss for both properties, and I just thought that was just lovely, complete circle, yeah, yeah. starting on six hours a week. Um, <laughs> so, taking over the world now, well, taking over Southampton with chaplains, different homes. So, and that's been uh, really good, and I've just seen God has been really faithful. Uh, but as you can see, as I'm working my way through this, isn't what I expected. I expected a full-time job, uh, even before I got down there. I expected a full-time when I got down there. Still, that didn't happen. And, um, and what has happened now, after two years, um, Tina felt at Christmas, just after Christmas time, that God was saying to that's it now, you're fully restored to where you were before. And he's right, we are, very much so, in terms of income and being able to manage Quite a journey, though. And um, so that's one um, that's an example of something trusting and obeying, not quite working out as you would have expected, but God still came through and um, was was faithful. So my experience has been of a very faithful God that comes through at the time of real need. Not when you think it is. (laughs) I want to tell you another story. Um about um, trusting and obeying. Um, one of the pitfalls I explained was um, that we, uh, because it's not, God's plan isn't what we expect or what we think we need, we can miss it. 
And that's what happened to a good many of the Jewish people. Um, not what we want. That's not, that can't be from God. Right? The second pitfall, the things that we do, that I've fallen into as a trap, is to try and do everything and fix everyone and everything. Um, now, doing this can mean that you can get quite burnt out and, um, and uh, in a mess. And that happened to me recently, um, only a couple of months back. And it was to do with the fact that um, I'm, in the, I'm working in this home as a chaplain, and a lady came up, to, uh, came, up, came up to me and was just really down, going on about the fact that she didn't have any money, not even small change, to buy anything, and that she was used to having that, but now she was in the home and didn't have it. And I thought, yeah. That's not good at all. No, I'll sort that out for you. Um, perhaps she's got um, a pocket money fund downstairs that the, the, administ the administrator of the home has for various people in the home. So I go down there and see, um, has she got a pocket money fund there? Apparently not. The um, relatives have been asked a couple of times to um, you know, leave some money as a pocket money fund for, for the residents, it's their mother. And, uh, but they haven't done it. I thought, gosh, that's still not right. But I know the daughter of this lady. I, and I know she lives very close. I shall, I shall look out for her, and when I see her, I'll ask her. That's what I thought, you know. Why don't you leave some pocket money? You do remember I am only the chaplain here. You see, see what's happening. <laughs> and um, so I see her a few days later, and I say, um, she's walking out, I said, oh yeah, I, it, do you know, your, your mum was asking for, you know, some loose money. There's, you know, people have, residents have pocket money here. Um, you know, why don't you have a word with your brother and ask, <laughs> ask him to do some money, just a bit of money in, in the, for the... I thought, nothing more of it. Now he's good intentions on my part. I hasten to add, but... Um, but, um, well, I heard no more of it until I was... Asked to have a chat with the manager of the home, <laughs> <laughs> and, was, uh, and as she was explaining, she said, "Well, first of all, um, you know, um, the brother or the son of the lady there, so the brother that was the I had the message passed on, has complained about breach of con confidentiality." I thought, "Why? What have I given away?" But I thought, but as she was explaining it, and then she went on to say that the lady that I'd spoken to. Uh, who live very close by, uh, or unbeknownst to me, because she seems perfectly normal, is actually mentally ill. Oh. <laughs> and um, as a result of me speaking to her, she was so taken back and um, went and locked herself in her flat for two days. Uh, <laughs> Good job. <laughs> and, uh, oh no! <laughs> now, She's not the only one she does that to. She apparently it happens quite a lot. But um, nevertheless, I'm thinking, well, as it's story unfolding, I'm thinking, no, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I shouldn't be trying to fix this situation. This isn't my role. And um, why have I got myself into this mess as I'm into now? And it was just the realisation that um, <coughs> it's so tempting to want to go and fix things for people. And um, you see a need, oh, I can sort that out for you. And then I think, well, what's the motive behind that? And the motive behind that, I thought, well, it's actually trying to find value and worth, you know, ourselves or myself by fixing people and, and making things better for them. 
And I thought, well, it's, it's worthy, it's a good thing, but not actually what uh, we're always called to do. Because if we did that for everyone, we wouldn't last five minutes. And, um, and as you see, that situation was, I was quite cross and angry about it. Uh, because I, you know, I was only really trying to help and to be accused of breach of confidentiality seemed a little stiff to me. So that night, you know, um, came home, not fuming, but really quite angry, sense of injustice, go to bed. And you know what happens? You something happens in the day that you felt really not at all good about it. In the middle of the night, I'm waking up, wide awake. This thing going around in my head. And then I thought... I tell you what, um, usually when this happens, I have to get up, watch telly for a bit, and I go back to sleep. I thought, no, I want to sleep. And I thought, right, I'll praise God then. And um, um, so that's what I did. I praised God for a bit. Now, next, then what happened is nothing, is something that's never happened to me before. I woke up every now and again, and then continued to praise God. And it was like being on a crest of a wave surfing on the crest of a wave. I actually felt almost euphoric and I almost felt almost invincible. <laughs> and I just can't, I can't, there's no way I should have felt that. But that's what I felt. And I just sensed that was God um, vindicating me. Now at the same time as I was praying through that situation, praising God about it and just, you know, leaving it in God's hands and, and um, Alan uh, Lepid came into my mind because we'd just been uh, praying for him for a healing and what have you. And um, and then this evening I came along and, you know, talking about trusting and obeying, that the, several words were given to me as, as I prayed beforehand about being bold and stepping out in boldness. And I don't know if you notice what on the front of Anna Lepid's t-shirt is. Uh, having just given you that story... Um, it's about surfing, I think. It's all about <laughs> surfing. <laughs> so, um, I, Alan, I'm afraid I think God's asking me to pray for you Carry on. <laughs> after the session. And mm. I have to tell you, I'm not an expert on this in any way. And if anybody wants to um, say they'd like somebody to pray for them, I'd probably be at the back of the room, Rubbish. hiding in a corner. <laughs> and, um, but I was reminded tonight about the authority that God's given each yeah. one of us, Come on. and in particular me, or for this particular evening, uh, being reminded about it, that we do have authority given from God, not in our own strength. And so we can pray for healing for others, because it's not coming from us, That's but right. it's coming because of who we are. Yeah, yeah. Right, so that was an example of... Um, how not to trust and obey, um, <laughs> being caught up in this situation that perhaps we shouldn't be. I want to tell you a story now where I trusted and obeyed and um, God did an amazing thing. And um, it, it's almost by accident, and that's such is the way that God does things. You suddenly find yourself in a situation and God just doesn't quite take over, but it just works through you, suddenly realising that um, um, you've been called to do this and that and move along. And I think um, I was at a conference recently about chaplains, and they said that in the home, that um, the key um, sort of approach they felt was that you should just be there to loiter with intent. 
And I think that's a good way of looking at it, isn't it, right? If you can spend your life loitering with intent with people all around you. <laughs> and this is what happened. This story, I tried to share a bit about it last time. And um, I've got a bit more, revealing a bit more about it. Um, I'm in this nursing home. Yeah, all right. I was in this nursing home, and I don't really know it, but this nursing home, you could be considered a really sad place because nearly everybody there will be dead within a year. And so, and yet, you know, it's actually quite a good atmosphere in there, and the staff are lovely. And um, it was soon after starting the job, I was sitting in there chatting to people. There was one man there who I'll call John, and... Um, who couldn't move, who was just sat in this, like, um, an, arm, a mo- an armchair on wheels, moved around, he could only just move his head, that's all he could do, really, perhaps a little bit of his hands. And he looked really depressed, and at times he said, uh, you know, I'm sort of fed up with this sort of life, and, um, and I just sat and chatted to him, and, you know, um, just friendly to him, that was great. And then one morning I came in, and I came into his room, and he was crying, and I, I just thought, oh, no, John, why are you crying? And he says, my wife doesn't love me, he says. Now, his wife, I'd seen a few times, was coming in quite regularly to see him. And so I said, oh, I'm sure your wife loves you, because she keeps coming in to see you. Um, and um, automatic response just came from me, no, that can't be true, of course she loves you, you know, she comes in to see you, uh, quite regularly. Uh, and then I looked around and at the room, and there was no pictures of anything on the wall. Uh, there was his wife, but that was about it. And, and I gathered from talking, he did have children and grandchildren, but no photographs or anything. Anyway, I then spoke to the wife um, a couple of days later, and, um, and I said, you know, I was speaking to your husband, and he was crying, because he thinking that, um, you know, just thinking that you didn't love him. And I assured him that you did. And then she said, well, there are times when I haven't. And um, because um, a few years ago he did a terrible thing and um, he's completely broken up the family. Um, And she actually kicked him out at one point, but then took him back. And his daughter, son and daughter, have not forgiven her. And so she has no access to grandchildren. And what it turns out, I didn't know the full story at this stage, only that, that uh, there was, um, he was placed on the sex offenders register. Didn't know any more than that. And um, so, anyway, I thought, oh well. Um, then he deteriorated a few weeks later, and he was in bed, not coming out. And I came in and just sat with him and just prayed with him. And just reassured him that God loved him. And I read the story of the prodigal son about how God welcomes everybody that comes back to him. And um, and then he was then the next I heard he was in hospital. And then I heard um, that he wouldn't be coming back again. So I thought, right, I best go and see him and um, just pray with him. And um, so I went to see him in hospital. And the timing of this is very critical, so God was working very much through it. Um, I went in there, his wife was sitting next to, um, sitting next to him, and um, 
he was fast asleep. Um, I think he'd been asleep most of the time. I decided to pray with him and read him the story again of the prodigal son about how you know we can wander off and come back, but God welcomes it and loves us and restores us. And I was just finishing the prayer and he started to wake up. And I didn't know this, he'd been asleep for days really. So just as I was finished um, praying with him, reading the story, he woke up. Uh, his eyes started to open and I thought... Um, it would be really good now that he's awake, his wife's here, you know, he's not got that much longer to live, um, that he actually says to his wife that he loves her. Um, because I know he does, because he was crying the other day um, for fear of her not loving him. So I said, you know, it would be really good, um, John, if you could uh, pray for, sorry, if you could just say that you love your wife, you know, because uh, I know you do. And, um, and he said, uh, he didn't say anything, because he couldn't, basically. And then I, I thought I heard the faintest whisper of something. I thought, oh, I don't know where I did hear it, perhaps, you know. And then um, I said, oh, said to his wife, just go close, see if you can hear him, because he might just have said something then. And then he, um, apparently, the wife suddenly came back and said, yes, he's just said to me that I love him, that I, I love you. And, um, and she was just... At that point, um, just broke down in tears, um, and then just sat caressing his face. He was crying, looking at her, just with this sort of like puppy dog eyes, like, you know, uh, please love me, please love me, sort of thing. And um, it was just a very special moment to actually be a privilege to be part of that, for the husband and wife to be reconciled. Now, you just remember that... Um, after that point, he fell asleep and didn't wake up again, basically, as he died a few days later. So to be there at the right time, the right moment, and be used by God, was just beautiful. And I have to say, this was an instance where God had used me 12 years before, where I did a similar sort of thing with my wife, Tina's uh, dad, and he was dying. And I prayed, prayed committing with him, and prayed, you know, I, you do love your daughter, don't you, because I know you do and that you're very proud of them both, aren't you? Please not you have to say you are, he did. And uh, I just, it was like a reconciliation really wow. um, for uh, Tina as well, and as well as her brother who wasn't there at the time. But um, So there we are, something happened 12 years ago and now I've got the next stage, I'm being used by God again. And the story of the prodigal son, why was I led to the story of the prodigal son? I didn't know the background of this man at the time and it turns out, um, that um, there was there was good reason for being on the sex offender, both for his um, daughter and his granddaughter, and um, essentially uh, he was willing himself to die. Um, he had this awful disease that I, I think he just didn't want to live anymore. Um, um, I believe full of guilt. So the one story that would have been really appropriate for him would have been the prodigal son. Wow. And I don't know, I, didn't, I wasn't able to pray a prayer of commitment with him because he was that ill. I was not going to get any words out of him. Um, but I did what I felt God was leading me to do and I had to leave the rest with God. And that's so often the case when you're working with people. I'd love to do it all for them and help them do the last step. But it's over to God, really. And in so many instances... 
So there you are, there's another story. I've told you a little story about um, how God was faithful, trusting obeying for Tina and myself, coming to Southampton and, and brought us through. I've told you the story of how I shouldn't do it, <laughs> my experience of not doing it right. And then I told this story of how God really did it right through me, through me trusting and obeying and being used by him. And what a privilege that is. So I come back to the beginning of my talk again. It was all about trusting and obeying. And um, let's remember that God's plan really works and really is the best plan. And that when we think that God's not doing it the way we think he is, hang on a minute, mm. he is. And then let's remember, let's not fall down into the trap of the Jewish people who expected something different and um, they weren't doing what they felt they needed and or God wasn't doing what they felt he needed and therefore they rejected the plan that God had and look what happened to Jerusalem and the people there. Um, let's avoid the pitfalls of trying to do everything, fix everything and anyone. Let's God do his work and let him use us. And let's loiter with intent <laughs> for people around us. Yeah. And um, I've now got to do my bit tonight to pray for someone for healing mm. when I'm terrified, but I'm very nervous. <laughs> so if there's anybody else that's quite nervous here about praying for healing, perhaps they feel that they haven't got the gift, you know. Um, well, come and join me, because you'll <laughs> be in good company. Not just my... No, 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 no. When would you like that to happen? In a minute. Yeah. In a minute. In a minute. I'm going to leave it over to Alan. <laughs> um, I do think we need to. I know we need to do it, but I don't know the, how, how the setup is for it. And uh, let's remember the song "Trust and Obey." Yeah. But there's no other way. We hope you enjoyed the Bridge Christian Fellowship podcast. Visit us at www.bridgecf.org.